0: Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Sturkson, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit mysouthland.com. Today is the last message of the Sermon on the Mount series. <laughs> Not sure how to take that. Wait till I do the Book of Romans. Half of you will be dead before we get to the end, but that's OK. So We're going to do the final few verses, but in the first half of the message, I'm going to talk about something else, but I will turn there first, because why would anything ever be straightforward or quick with me? I can't help it. It's how God made me. I just wanted to start off a bit, so we will get to the Sermon on the Mount. I just want to talk a little bit about fasting at the beginning, uh, because I think there's a wrong—I get always a lot of questions, and it's good. It's conscientious people uh, wanting to do things right. But I think it's an opportunity to actually talk about a wrong picture I think many of us have about God that surfaces when it comes to fasting. And so I have a lot of people coming up to me and asking me stuff like, you know, if I, can I drink juice? If I drink juice or is it just water? And if I do this, what happens if I do this? Does it count? What happens if I do this? Does that count? And we, I get lots and lots of questions. Not bad. You're not bad for asking questions. I just think that there's a wrong picture of God. A lot of these questions are stemming out of a wrong uh, picture of God, and we have this idea almost like, um, I think God is a bit of this grim, you know, taskmaster in heaven, and you have to obey the rules exactly, straight, or nothing works. That's sort of, I think, where a lot of these questions come from. And, uh, and so, one of the things we have to understand is that things like fasting, and this applies to so much more than fasting, but, um, but fasting is not magic, and that God doesn't want us using magic. Magic is when people think that you can uh, manipulate spiritual powers if I say the exact right incantation and I do this, 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 and this, all in the right order, then everything will happen how I want because I did the rules exactly straight. That's magic. That's what the occult does. But we're not in the occult, and we're not into magic. We're into Jesus who actually wants just a relationship. And if I think about how I am with my kids... I don't want my kids doing magic on me okay I don't want them every time they want something to come up to me and then you know Charlie takes out a dead toad and and then just right and doesn't doesn't drink you know water for two and a half hours and he says exactly this incantation it's like oh dad I have not done this for two and a half hours now and now I come to you and I beseech you and will you and then he thinks he's gonna get what he wants I love him so he just comes to me as he is and he just asks me stuff, right? That's, it's, it's a relationship. Fasting is not, is not magic. And so there's no right or wrong here when it comes to, can I drink juice? Uh, yeah, I always drink juice during my fast. But some people do water. But there's no, there's no right or wrong. The Bible, has many, the Bible has no rules on fasting. Did you know that? The Bible has many examples for us of fasting. And pre- all of them pretty much are different. So there's lots of stories in the Old Testament where the, 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 you know, the nation of Israel would fast together. They would have some big national crisis, and they would all come together and fast, sometimes for a day, sometimes for two days, and they would just seek God. But then there's other fasts that people do for three days, and they're wearing sackcloth and ashes. And then the next guy fasts for a week or three days, he's not wearing sackcloth and ashes. And, and some are for a week, some are for three days. Daniel went 21 days, but in that one, he ate vegetables. And so there's, and then we have in the New Testament, the book of Acts, we see the early church fasted, and it tells us they fasted, but it doesn't tell us for how long or what they did for their fast. So there's no right or wrong to fasting, and it's important you understand that, because this isn't a guilt thing, and this isn't God looking up in heaven, looking to make sure you do it exactly right, or he's not going to do what you want, he loves you. Fasting is not about the rules. Fasting is about us. It's not even about God. God doesn't love you more. You went three days without food. Oh, now God's impressed with you, okay? Jesus went 40. He's pretty hard to impress, okay? He made the universe. So one of the things I've had to give up the last few years is trying to impress Jesus. It's impossible, So I've just understood now that if I eat for three days, He loves me just as much as if I don't eat for three days. And you say, well, then I'm not fasting. Why would I fast? (laughs) Fasting is not about impressing God or making God love you more. Fasting is about us. We fast to unclutter our minds so that we can receive the love He's wanted to give us all along. We fast to unclutter our lives and our minds and our spirits so that we can focus on a prayer request that actually means something to us so that we can press into his presence not to make him care more but so that we can press into his throne room and see what he wants to do. Fasting is what we do to mortify the flesh because we're so used to saying yes to our bodies that it's also easy to say yes to sin. So we say no to our bodies as a discipline, and we find as a happy byproduct, it also becomes easier to say no to sin. So fasting is not about impressing God. He's no more impressed with you after as he was before. It's not about making him love you more. He just loves you. It's not about magic. It's about us. Fasting is a discipline for us, and we should do it joyfully, knowing that this is, how, this is to help us press into him and experience him more. And I hope you have experienced him that way. But I just want to demystify this whole thing because I think a lot of people have this fear and guilt complex uh, about fasting. So um, I, I'm just trying to be real with you guys all the time now and uh, more and more. And so just let, let, me, let me tell you something. As many of you know, I talked about in the, in the message a couple of weeks ago that I've been fasting from media and reading stuff, uh, you know, other than the Bible from Monday through Saturday. Well, this last Monday, I fell off the wagon. How are you up there preaching today? I had a nap. It was a moment of weakness. LaDawn was gone shopping. I didn't even tell her to just now. Sorry, honey. Um, The kids were quiet. It was a Monday afternoon. I woke up. I didn't feel like reading the Bible. How can you be our preacher, right? I thought you always felt like reading the Bible. I'm a human being. And so, I, for 40 minutes, I, I read news and sports articles, and at the end of it, I went, Oh! Now, in the past, that would have wrecked my whole week. The fast doesn't mean anything. You wasted the first two weeks. Start from scratch. It doesn't work. Blah, 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 blah. You're bad. You're unspiritual. But, you know, the longer I've walked with Jesus, the more I just realize how ridiculous that kind of thinking is. I just hopped back on the horse, and I just, go, I just kept going. You know, those of you who, who work out and, and, you're, and you're trying to be fit, so you work out for months, you get in shape, and then you have a bad day, let's say, and you just don't have the willpower one day to work out. At the end of that day, do you go, everything I've done the last six months is for waste. Did you lose all that fitness from six months in one day of not doing it? No. Did I lose in, one, in 40 minutes of falling off the wagon and, and not doing my fast the way I had been trying to do it, does that waste what happened the first two weeks and how much more clear my mind is and how much more prayerful I am in my spirit? No. You know, you're on a diet and you're trying to eat healthier and you've lost 10 pounds and you just feel good because you're eating healthier. And then one day you eat, ha- you know, half a chocolate cake and it's gone. Oh, I may as well not have done any healthy eating. No, you lost 10 pounds. I mean, you gained two back on the half a chocolate cake, but there's still a net gain of eight. And so you just keep going, okay? Fine, I messed up, but you keep going. You're still ahead, right? And, and we have to, but we feel guilt, 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 because we think God rules. It's not working. I don't like you. You're not spiritual enough. That's not how He is. He just loves you. So He didn't love me any less after I fell off my fasting commitment. He continued love me. You know, one of the things that a couple just just recently, someone was telling me a story. About a guy, he he does ministry all around the world. Uh, he's and he's he really believes in fasting. He he's very fruitful, and God uses him. And he's but he's big. He preaches the message of fasting. He writes books on fasting, and he believes in it himself, just in the power of what fasting does to ourselves to open our, ourselves up to God. But he tells it in the, but he but there's a story. This guy, he was on a 40-day fast. And by the way, never never compare yourself to others, okay. I used to be afraid to do listening prayer because I was always afraid stuff like God's going to call me to Africa or God's going to call me to do a 40-day fast. And I've just gotten over that now, okay? I'm I'm just, I like my three-day fast. I have no intention at any point in my life of doing a 40-day unless Jesus just shows up and says, I'm going to really bless you. Okay, then you're going to have to help me too, okay? But anyway, this guy was doing a 40-day fast, but it's not about comparing. But anyway, he just, he loves it. Awesome. He's in the middle of his 40-day fast. He's somewhere in the 20s. There's a bag of chips on the, on, on, the, on the counter, and those of you who have fasted, I mean, you just know, sometimes that bag of chips, it just moves on its own. <laughs> I've had this happen to me on fasts. And before he knew it, it had opened itself up and poured itself down his mouth, the entire bag. <laughs> now you think, oh, it's all wasted. No, thank you, Lord, that you love me. Shoot, keep going. So he did a 40-day fast with a bag of chips in the middle. Because God loves you. It's a discipline for us. So yes, my mind is clearer this month. It's working. It's wonderful. And yes, I'm also human. And you make mistakes and you just get back on the wagon and you reaffirm, Jesus loves me. And it's not about my feelings and condemning myself. I'm pressing into him and it's working. And I love the results. So that's huge. God loves you. And any. And any small attempt you and I make, any small attempt you and I make to reach out to him is, and we read this a couple weeks ago, I showed you James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Any small attempt you make to reach out to God is always met with a resounding yes. He just sees your weak, imperfect attempts to reach out to him and he says, yes, I love that. He absolutely loves it, all right? And this brings up one last thing I want to say well, fasting, before we get on the message, I've also had uh, questions about kids and fasting. Okay? And so this is just important stuff. So, you know, people are going for it. I love it. Okay? And, and people aren't bad and questions aren't bad and people being zealous isn't bad. But I'll, I'll just tell you up front, we don't let our kids fast. And, uh, no, I mean, if they want to fast from desserts, if they want to fast from, you know, stuff like candy, yeah, okay, good. But we don't, we don't make a big deal of fasting around our home. And we don't, and I would never let any of my kids fast for, for, from nutritious food, like for a day or two days. It, nothing, I wouldn't. When they're a bit older, you know, maybe 12 or 13, they want to maybe fast from a meal, like one meal. Fine, because they want to pray. But as long as they're in my house, and you know, maybe they get into later, later teens, I don't know, 16, 17, 18, whatever they get. At a certain point, they get old enough. But even there, I would never push on kids uh, fasting. And you say, yeah, but my kid got in listening prayer That they need to fast for three days you know what a parent's common sense always overrules listening prayer can i just set some of you free on that my common sense as a parent and jesus wants it that way overrules any of my kids listening prayers in fact if you want to know something let's just open up here because i'm just i'm just trying to smash the picture of over spiritual pastors that you that you sometimes have which doesn't help you at all i don't do listening prayer with my kids about really anything directional. Did you know that? I don't do listening prayer with my kids about how much should I fast. I don't do listening prayer with my kids about what should I do this, what should I do that. (gasps) You don't do that with them? No. Because what my kids need to know is how much Jesus loves him and that he's with them and that he'll always be with them and that he's good and bad things end and you can have hope in life because God is good. That's what they need to know. You know, when it comes to kids, and a lot of this is fear-based as parents, we're constantly comparing ourselves. And it's just a constant danger because we parent out of fear. And the problem is as parents is we always share, isn't this true? We always only share our good stories. Isn't that true? That's why I'm trying to share more and more of my bad stories. But we always share our good stories. So we don't share the hundred times our kids were normal, we share the one time when they, when they sat down for a week and read through the book of Daniel. And then everybody around, and we just, we're just celebrating, woo! And everybody else is going, oh, my kid doesn't want to read the Bible! And then we go home, I'm a bad parent, God's not happy with me, and now we make our kids read the Bible. And do you know how effective that is? How many of you have ever passed a passion on to your kids? Um... My kids haven't caught on to a passion for football yet. They're still a bit young. But I'm not even trying to pass it on. If they don't, phew, good for them. But my brother Stefan, he's unbalanced and unhealthy. And uh, (laughs) so his oldest son, Austin, already loves football, okay? And so God be with him, all right? So, but his oldest son, Austin, loves football. Now, how did Stefan get Austin to love football? He gave him a football-watching plan, and made him watch every single day for an hour. You better do it. Is that how he did it? No. He never made Austin watch football. He watched football and screams like a madman (laughs) and does all kinds of insane things and just enjoys it and eats chips and food and just does crazy stuff around football. And we, as a family, will get together and watch football, as we will today. I'm not fasting on Sunday afternoons. You better believe it. (laughs) get a different picture of God. You're cheating. No. And he just sees us enjoying it and then he enjoys it. But we don't do that with spiritual stuff. We have a fear thing. They're not going to love God. They're not going to love. Read your Bible every day. How's that working for you? What your kids need is to see you loving Jesus. And then you need to love Jesus with them. Do we want them to love God's word? Yes. So what you need to do is love God's word with them in little chunks. One of my things for getting my kids to love Jesus is I read lots of God's stories with them and just enjoy them with them. I read, I just unashamedly read lots of Chronicles of Narnia because the picture of Jesus in there in the face of Aslan is glorious and happy and joyful. And we talk about Jesus as we read it. So I just read them that stuff. I read them stuff like magic bicycle. Oh, it has the word magic in it. Okay, fine. Don't enjoy it. But the picture of Jesus in that series is happy and glorious and wonderful. And we talk about Jesus and we love Jesus when we read those stories. And I read them when I get a verse in my, in my devos that really speaks to me and it touches me. I tell my kids about those verses. And and God gave me this creative idea the other day. I I, I just I was I was praying, and you can just trust Him to give you ideas. And and we've been feeding my oldest daughter Joy. She gets to stay up. She's nine now, so she gets to stay up till nine. The other kids are in bed at eight, so she always has an hour there where she reads. And so in that time, He just showed me, you know, if you feed her good books. Betsy Ten Boom, Corey Ten Boom. Just feed her good books. And then I got another book that is really kind of fun to, to read. It's about miracles. And we read that one together for 15 minutes. But again, I'm not making her do things she doesn't like to do. I'm doing it with her. And, and, and engaging her with stories about people who love Jesus. And serving with her. She sees the dawn serving here at the church throughout the week and loving it and finding purpose in it. And we come to church and we celebrate being at church and we sing hymns in the evening together because we like it and we love Jesus and it rubs off on them. See, one of the things you have to understand about your kids, this is so huge, your kids aren't mini-adults. Can I just say that again? Your kids aren't mini-adults. So don't treat them like mini-adults. It's you know, a caterpillar is not a butterfly. Is, that's true, right? It's going to become a butterfly, but a caterpillar isn't a butterfly. And if I try to make a caterpillar do flying lessons, he's going to die before he ever gets to fly. Isn't that true? It's true. If I try to teach, try to teach a caterpillar to strengthen its wings, it doesn't have wings to strengthen. Butterflies need to strengthen their wings butterflies need to work at flying. Caterpillars aren't butterflies yet. A caterpillar just needs to eat and eat and eat until he gets fat. Isn't that true? Your kids, so spiritual disciplines, hugely important for butterflies. Do I believe in reading my Bible all the time? I need it. Do I believe in fasting? Absolutely. Huge changes in my life. Encountering God in massive ways again this month through fasting. But I'm a butterfly. I don't look like it. (laughs) But I need spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines aren't life. They're exercises. They're exercises for flying. Caterpillars don't need to exercise for flying. They need to eat. They need to feed on love, joy, peace, goodness. They need to come home from school. They come out of a chaotic environment. They need to come to a place where God isn't hammered over their head all the time. They need to come home to a place that is full of peace and joy. And mom and dad love Jesus. And I actually love that environment there. And I think I'm going to love Jesus too. And God just infuses. God isn't forced on them. God infuses everything. Does that make sense? I'm not saying there's no room for spiritual distance. I'm not saying we never make our kids read the Bible. And yes, you know, and we've had Joy read through parts of the Bible and stuff. But you know, she came to us actually just recently. And, uh, and she said, she, I had her reading through the Old Testament. And she said, uh, she had told LaDawn, uh, I'm having a hard time reading the Old Testament. I'm just not getting anything out of it. And it's difficult for me to read. And I just said right away to LaDawn, oh, it's fine. I just went right down to her room and I said, have you been having a hard time reading the Old Testament? Yeah. Don't worry about it us have so much fear we could never say that to our kids i'm telling her those stories all the time anyway when i was her age i wasn't made to read the bible either but somehow it got in me because my parents loved jesus they told me the stories they did the stories with me and then i became an adult and my faith became my own and i pursue it myself so i'm not saying we don't talk to our kids with the bible i'm saying we need to have it infusing our entire life but you don't get your kids to love it just by making them all the time now again So, we do have her reading in the Bible and stuff, but it's not for, it's, I I don't judge how far my kids are with God by how much discipline they do. I'm looking at the heart. How much do they love? How much joy do they have? How much trust do they have? I want them to grow in that. I want them to see God through me. I hope that takes a burden off your shoulders, parents. All right, so that's half the message. Maybe I won't finish the sermon. Yes, I will. Matthew, I found it late before and then I closed the Bible. Do it again. All right, let's read this. The final verses of Sermon on the Mount. Verse 24, 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would speak to us. We thank you for this sermon that you preached, and and the words in here are really our life. And I just pray that you would encourage us, and that you would bring these truths home to us, and that we would grow in you in joy and in love, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to finish this series by talking about everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So that's an incredible uh, promise that, that the Sermon on the Mount, okay, this is about building your life on a rock, okay? And there's so much blessing in that. And it, I mean, we could explore in a whole bunch of messages what that looks like even to have a house uh, built on rock. But the promise is conditional. Not everybody's life is built on rock. Not every Christian's life is built on rock. I mean, and we know people who call themselves Christians and who prayed a prayer once, but their life is in shambles. They've They've stolen, they've lied, they've, they've, they've left their spouse, they've committed adultery. We can look at a hundred different scenarios and their, li- their lives are in shambles. We look at people who call themselves Christians, who prayed a prayer once, who had some good intentions, but their life wasn't built on, built on rock. So not, it's not automatic. Jesus doesn't say everyone who prays a prayer once or everyone who says they're a follower or everyone who intends to be my follower or everyone who studies these words, their life will be built on rock. It doesn't say that. He says, blessed are those who do them. Blessed are those who do them. Those who do these words, those are the ones. The blessing is actually in the doing. It's not in the hearing. It's not in the knowing about. It's not even in the believing. It's in the doing. The blessing is in the doing. Now, the moment I say that, immediately, so many of us, the performance mentality thing kicks in. It's like, oh, no. I was hoping the blessing would be in the believing because we are all, I hope, increasingly aware of how weak and frail and imperfect we are. And, uh, and it's like, oh no. If, I, if, it, if it depends on the doing, I'm just, I'm not, I mess up all the time, right? So if it depends on the doing, that's not good news to me. That makes me feel like if I'm not perfect, if I'm, every time I disobey, I'm missing out on this promise. This makes it feel like I have to be perfect in order to please God. And I, I just want to talk about that because this is not about performance mentality. Jesus is not speaking to us here a message of performance mentality laying a burden on us that you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect. You have to be perfect in order to have your life built on rock. So what exactly is Jesus talking about? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to pay attention to what is it that Jesus is telling us we have to do. Okay, that's really important. We have to first pay attention to what is Jesus telling us we have to do. Many of us, the moment we hear Jesus say, you have to obey, you have to do something in order to be blessed, Many of us have a subconscious picture of what a, of, of what a super spiritual Christian looks like and we just fill in we, we don't consciously do it but we subconsciously fill in the blanks Jesus says blessed are you if you do them and we immediately subconsciously fill in the blanks i have to be this picture in our minds of what a spiritual person looks like a person who has given up everything a person who takes no joy in the things of this world a person who you know doesn't you know f- fiddle around with sports or 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 you know, hobbies or things like that because those are frivolous and worldly and not godly. A super spiritual person is someone who devotes all their time to prayer and Bible reading and those are the people, if you do them, if you are super spiritual like that, those are the people who are, whose house is built on rock. But the thing is, Jesus does not say in here, blessed are you if you do your subconscious picture of what a super spiritual Christian looks like. He's talking about the words he just preached in the Sermon on the Mount. But again, and I, I can't tell you enough, because I know, because I live this, our subconscious picture of what spiritual looks like is very, very strong. And we're not always aware that it's there, and that's why there's constantly this pressure and anxiety. I'm not good enough for Jesus. But he's not telling us to live up to our subconscious picture of what a super spiritual person looks like. He's telling us to do the things he told us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. So why don't we just take a quick look and remind ourselves, let's consciously put aside our subconscious picture of what it looks like to be a super spiritual person, and let's just let Jesus define for us. He said, these are the things, if you do these things in the Sermon amount, those are the people who are going to be blessed. So what are the things he commanded us to do? And the first thing you're going to notice is, it's not a bunch of legalistic do's and don'ts. There's nothing in here about how much you have to read your Bible. There's nothing in here about how much you have to pray. There's nothing in here about you can't dance, you can't have fun, you can't play sports, you can't eat certain foods. Let's look at them. And I'm just going to take you through the entire Sermon on the Mount. Some of you are going to go, well, why did it take you 22 weeks? Because you're just going to do it now in five minutes. <laughs> go talk to God about it. I don't know. Matthew 5, to 26. Let's just go through the whole thing. Don't hold grudges and don't insult, abuse people in your anger. Wow, what a horrible do and don't. Fight against lust. Stay married. Keep your promises. Don't return evil for evil. I mean, I just look at that one. Just leave out the lust one because some of you just feel hopeless on that one. You're in a struggle with it. But I mean, everything else there, and I'll talk to those of you who have messed up already. Some of you are sitting here and you're divorced and you're going, oh, he hits me again. Well, we'll, we'll talk about being perfect and stuff after too, but if you just look at this, it's a whole lot about just being a decent person, it, it's a whole lot. I mean, actually, those who are stuck in lust, it, lust is a horrible place to be anyway. Keeping your promises, like just being a dependable person in your business, and your family, like actually just following through on what you say, that's really not legalism. That's actually just something kind of I think we'd all want to be. Don't return evil for evil. That one's kind of difficult, but again, it's not legal. It's about loving people. Well, there's another, the next bunch is this. Love your enemies. Give generously, but not to show off. Pray simple, trusting prayers. God is your Father and He loves you. Don't let money control you. Again, there's nothing here about you have to give up everything you like and pray hours a day. It's not in here. It's love your enemies. It's give generously but not to show off. It's pray simple, trusting prayers. Actually, that kind of of sounds nice. And view God as your Father and that He loves you. That's actually kind of really nice. And don't let money control you. Anyone who has let money control them for any amount of time knows that brings just a whole lot of anxiety and greed and different things that are horrible. That actually, it just sounds good. To be free of the love of money just sounds good. And we keep going. What other rules has he given us that if you do these things, you'll be blessed? Well, how about don't worry? Oh, Jesus, the burden you're putting on us. This is terrible. Like I just, he's wonderful, isn't he? He doesn't tell us, give up everything you love and pray all day, he says. That's weird. I created the earth and I created you to enjoy it. Actually, what I want you to do, forget about your, super, your picture of what a super spiritual person looks like. I just want you to give up worry. Would you give up worry and just love me like a father? Oh, that's your command to me? That's, that's what you want me to do? Like some of us are so scared to do listening prayer because we're afraid Jesus is going to send us to Africa or he's going to make us do a 40-day fast. But nowhere in the Sermon on the Mount does he tell us to do those things. Now, he does sometimes call people to go to Africa and stuff like that. But when he does, he'll put it on your heart. It's not like, it'll be super scary, but he'll put it on your heart and he'll give you a love that's commensurate with that. I've got to go. Like what he's done with Pastor Ray and church renewal. And now he's just going all out for this thing and we're following him behind, but he's given him a heart to do it. He, he doesn't get up every day and go, God's calling me to do this. I got to do it. God called him to do it and then put a heart in him for the thing. And now it just fuels him. It's not a legalistic do and don't. Don't worry. Oh, I am trying my best to obey that one. And the more I obey, it, the better. Don't judge. Never give up praying. God will answer. Oh, that's beautiful. Do to others what you would have them do to you. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Don't add your own subconscious picture to that. Jesus said, do these things. Just what he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, and you will build your life on a rock. Oh, I love these things. I love these things. This is actually all stuff that deep down we want to be. It's about escaping sexual immorality. That's wonderful. It's about loving people. It's about trusting and loving God. You say, well then, what are the spiritual disciplines for? Because again, we have a subconscious picture and you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So what you're preaching, today that seems a lot different than what you're preaching a lot of time where you're telling us we've got to get in the word and we've got to pray. Yeah, I do preach that so we got to get in the word and we got to pray. And centuries of Christians who have walked this walk testify that it is very important to daily be in the word and in prayer. Well you say well on the one hand you're saying stop feeling guilty about it and Jesus never told you how much you had to do and on the other hand you're saying you have to do it. So what are the spiritual disciplines for then? Here's what the spiritual disciplines are for. You have to understand what they're for. The spiritual, there is no reward in heaven for spiritual disciplines. Unless, you know, maybe an intercessor is called to pray and that's their obedience is to, is to intercede or something. And then there's, no, there's a reward for serving in that place. But I'm just telling you as a general rule of spiritual discipline, when you get to heaven, Jesus is not going to go, oh, way to go, Johnny. You did 15,000 hours of Bible reading. Here's your crown and the 10 cities that you will oversee the crowns in heaven are given for love. You love Jesus, you love people. They're not given for disciplines. They're not given for whatever Gus here gave 16,000 hours to prayer, completely neglected his family, here's your crown. It's not given for spiritual disciplines. Here's what spiritual disciplines are for. Spiritual disciplines are exercises to help me grow in receiving God's love so I can love others. I don't get credit for the discipline, but the discipline is necessary in order for me to get the results. That that's what I get the credit for. I'm losing you. Okay, let's talk about bodybuilding, which I know nothing about. <laughs> As you can tell. Um, bodybuilder goes to the competition, stands, parades himself in front of the judge. And the judge goes, here's the gold medal. You exercised more than anybody else this year. Woo, give him a hand. No. Is that what he does? The judge gives the medal to the guy who has the most muscles. Okay? So now someone goes, now a bodybuilder is here in the thing, and he's going, Oh, I've been legalistic this whole time. I'm throwing out exercise. Because there's no reward for exercise. There's only exercise, there's only reward for muscles. Therefore, he says, I don't have to exercise. And you go, Whoa, 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 you're 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 missing it here. You're right there's no reward for exercise. There's no gold medal for who exercised the most hours. There's no silver medal for who exercised the most hours. There's only medals for building muscle. But, having said that, you're not going to succeed in building muscle if you're not exercising. Isn't that true? Okay? This is the rule. So, a, a, a bodybuilder doesn't get up in the morning, and, or shouldn't anyway, they're not being gauged by how hard they're working. They're being gauged by what kind of results they're getting. And different ones will get results with different amounts of exercise. I mean, they're all going to have to work hard, but they're going to have varying amounts and how they do it and all that sort of stuff. Isn't that true? And in the end, it doesn't matter. They're not feeling guilty and they're not comparing themselves to someone else because what they're looking for is results. It's the same in the Christian life. It's the exact same. You should not get up in the morning and feel guilty, I haven't prayed enough. I haven't read the Bible enough. Because those things aren't ultimately the point. The point is to know god and the point is to receive his love and to love others getting into his word now happens to be this is a gift from him but he's but this is an exercise i go here and i set aside time to be quiet and to be with him because the world bombards me every day with selfish messages and sinful messages and narcissism and lust and all kinds of stuff I know if I'm not exercising in the spirit, I know if I don't have a place in my day to quiet myself and be thankful and oppress in the spirit and feed on God's word, I'm not going to grow in love. But the point of doing it is not, see, this is why so many people, it's so dry. They're only doing their devos just to do their devos. They don't realize there's supposed to be a result. That there is no reward. So I don't feel, I don't even allow myself anymore to feel guilty. A lot of people, oh, I haven't done my devos for three days. I must feel guilty now. Just get back on the horse. The point isn't the devos. The point is, how loved do you feel by Jesus today? Well, I don't feel very loved. That's because you're getting bombarded with the world's messages all day long. You need to set aside some quiet time so that you can receive his love. Oh, you love me. I was with him again today, this morning, I was spending time with the Lord, and as I let him love me, suddenly I found love for other people welling up inside of me. That's the point of devotions. I find myself praying for them, I go upstairs, I've got a smile on my face, and I want to love people. That's the results. That's what counts. That's what there's a reward for. So we don't spend all of our time obsessing over how much do I pray how much does so-and-so pray? How much all this sort of stuff? Our our goal, our obsession is to be loved by Jesus and then to love others and to love God back and to know Him. Okay? Now again, there's more also to, even with exercising, bodybuilding, whatever, any kind of sport. There's more to it than just exercising as hard as you can. Some for some of you, the reason your devotions are so they're just lame. They're just dry is because you're not getting the nutrition. Like, an, like a person, an athlete or a bodybuilder, it's not just working out hard, they also have to get right nutrition. If you're feeding poison into your body, you can exercise all you want and you're just not gonna get very far. Many of us have such a bad picture of God that even w- that when we spend time in the Word, it actually doesn't help us hardly. Because our picture of God is so bad, it's like poison. So even when we read our Bible, we only read our Bible because we're trying to do something for Him to make Him happy. We don't realize already that He loves us. That is like poison to your system. You can do all the disciplines you want. If your picture of God is that He's harsh and mean and distant, the disciplines aren't going to help you. You're, you're exercising tons, but you're not getting nutrition. What you need is the, the quiet time is a, is, 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 is a conduit for God's love to flow into you. And we need to consciously change our picture of God. The main food we need is God's love. Did you know that? The more I walk with God, the more I realize the most spiritual thing I can do is just God encourage me today. I used to feel selfish about that. What can I do from? What can I do from? What can I do from? I just realize now, doing will come out of loving. I found myself. I so I've been working on changing my picture of God. I found myself recently looking in the mirror and saying, "God loves you." It's kind of weird. You just gotta look both ways here. God loves you. Oh, He does love me. Oh. I open my Bible in the mornings, and more and more. I just put aside all those condemning thoughts of how far short i I fall because I just know He loves me. And I just say, Lord, you know, more and more my devotions, it's just about, oh, oh Lord, I need to know how much you love him, love me. And when you love me, I can love you back. And when that's your picture of God, suddenly your devotional exercises start to make sense because now you've got the nutrition. Now the devotional exercises are a time for you to quiet your heart, to be thankful for God, to God for who He is, to meditate on His goodness, to remind yourself and to strengthen yourself in how much He loves you. Now your devotions are doing something. Because you go out of your devotions increasing in love, and that's what there's credit for in heaven. That's the whole point. So, where am I? Back to the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus says, blessed are you if you do these things. He's not talking about performance mentality. He's first of all just given us a whole list of things that basically comes down to loving God and loving people. That's actually what matters to him. So when you fall off the exercises horse, you just get on. You don't feel guilty about it. Now, what about stuff like sexual immorality and marriage and some of those things and or you've, you know, you've lashed out in anger. And so you look at that list that Jesus gave and you say, I've, I just fall so short. I've messed up. I make mistakes. And, I, and now that means my house isn't built on rock. But I want you to notice in this passage, Jesus does not say, everyone then who hears these words of mine and never makes a mistake will build this house on a rock, somebody says. He doesn't say everyone then who hears these words of mine and is always perfect will be like a man who built this house on a rock, somebody says. He says, the one who does them, okay? You say, well, that doesn't sound so far different to me. Well, actually, it's way different because you might have messed up last week. You might have messed up last week. You might have looked at porn last week. You might have looked at porn last month. You might have divorced your wife last year or two years ago or whatever. So you might have made some mistakes. But the blessing isn't in the being perfect. The blessing is in the doing. You can do it this week. You can do it this week. Last week, you messed up. But Jesus doesn't say you lost it now because you have to be perfect. He says, blessed are you if you do them. The blessing is in the doing. Do it this week. Love people this week. Fight for purity this week. Fight for your marriage this week. Fight against anger this week. Trust God this week. You messed up yesterday. Fight for purity today. The blessing is in the doing. You can be blessed today. You can be blessed next week. You can be blessed next month because the blessing is always in the doing. Get back on the horse because God loves you and he forgives So blessed are you if you do them. It's not about performance mentality. Jesus loves you guys so much. But the blessing isn't in being worried. That's death. Jesus knows it. The blessing isn't in lusting. That's death. Jesus knows it. And you know it when you're in it. And the blessing isn't in divorce. That's death. Jesus knows it. So you made a mistake. That's okay. But blessed are you if you do these things. I forgive you. Get back on the horse. Amen? And you can be blessed. Your life, you might have messed your life up so bad over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And guess what Jesus says to you today? I am making all things new. You can be blessed yet in the rest of your life in the doing of Jesus' will and you can build your life on a rock still today because there's forgiveness and there's life and he loves you. I don't know about you, but that's actually something worth cheering about. But don't worry about it. I don't want you to do that. We're a Mennonite town. I'm going to give you a weekly challenge. Here's the weekly challenge. Part one, growing and receiving God's love. And I just picked a chapter. You can pick a different one if you know a better one. But I've been loving this chapter all year for a number of months. But this would be my challenge to you is Psalm 23 is the Lord is my shepherd. We need to grow in receiving God's love. Before you can do anything for God, you gotta just, you just gotta know God loves you. I just want to give you guys all permission this week to stop trying to please God so hard and just let him love you. I'm just going to give you permission. Can I give you permission? And if you, your brain's going to tell you this week, no, 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 I got to do something. And then I want you to just think, oh no, Chris gave me permission. I am allowed this week to not try to please God so hard and just be loved by him. That's actually what he made you for. And I'm just giving you a little practical thing to try. Psalm 23, just take it with you. I've been loving this, this chapter all, all year long. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be one. He's my shepherd. Oh. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What? I thought he makes me busy all the time I'm trying to be super spiritual. No, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, he restores my soul. Oh. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of anxiety, depression, whatever it is, I will fear no evil. Because he's with me and his rod and his staff, they comfort me. I want you just to take that chapter with you this week. Memorize it if you're up to that. Or just put on a little piece of paper and carry it with you. But meditate it and pray it in the morning. Then when you're on your way to work, think about it. And when you're at lunch, remind yourself of it. Until it just becomes a part of your life. And begin to change your picture of God that he is a shepherd to you. And you might have messed up your whole life to this point, And you might have been messing it up real bad the last week or the last month. But the blessing is in the doing. You can start to do this week. You can start to trust Jesus and be loved by Jesus. And then the second thing is grow in trust. Grow in receiving God's love. That's what the disciplines are about. When you realize that your devotions are about being loved by God, you're going to start to actually like your devotions. Because you're not trying to impress God with your devotions. You're not always trying to learn stuff even though sometimes He will teach you stuff. You're going there to remind yourself of how good He is. Which will change the rest of your life. But grow in trust. Ask God to reveal to you areas of your life that you are anxious about. Worried about. Hanging on to. Then prayerfully. It's not... I know a lot of people who have never struggled with worry or anxiety. They just think, well, just let go of it. That's all you got to do. Just just let go of it. Thank you. What do you think we've been trying to do all along, right? You think people like to just have anxiety? Oh, I love this. Letting go can be hard. But we can grow in this. Time to grow in trust. Make a list of all the things you're scared of. Absolutely scared of. I'm scared my kids will go to hell. I'm scared of this. I'm scared of that. I'm really worried about this. I'm really worried about that. And you can bring every single thing. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. And begin to just let the go to him. And wherever you can't let something go to him, you ask him, Lord, I don't believe you're good enough to take care of me in this. I need an upgrade in my revelation of you. And you just begin. This is what devotions is all about. Stuff like this. And then grow in love. Grow in receiving God's love. Grow in trust. Grow in love. Stop obsessing over all these legalistic things you think you have to do to impress God. And just realize that the big thing he wants you to do is be loved by him and to love others. So now, ask him, Also in your prayer times this week, ask God to reveal to you someone you tend to be harsh or impatient towards and ask him to give you his heart toward that person that you can begin to love him. As you receive his love, you begin to love others. That's what life is all about. It's not about all of us running off to Africa. It's not about us all doing 40-day fasts. It's actually about loving people and being loved by God. I think that's good news. Let me pray for you. Then we have another song. Lord Jesus, you are good. And I am going to be fasting this week, but I'm not doing it to impress you, and I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. I'm fasting this week because I want to know more how much you love me. I want to let go of more stuff in my life and trust you more. And I want to love people. And that's what we want to be as a church here at Southland. I just pray this week you would lift off the burden of our subconscious expectations that we put on ourselves of how to impress you. And Jesus, that you would set us free to do the Sermon on the Mount with joy, to love you and be loved by you and to trust you and to walk with you and to love others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.